right, we're going to be in Job, the book of Job, chapter 1 this morning. Before we jump in there, though, I thought I'd uh, give you guys an encouragement to be in your Bible on a regular basis, um, spend time in God's Word, and I've got some signs for you that you might not be in your Bible enough, all right? So... You might not be reading your Bible enough if you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a few hit songs in the 60s. Just, all right? You you might not be reading your Bible enough if your favorite Old Testament patriarch is Hercules. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, You might not be reading your Bible enough if you become frustrated because Charlton Heston isn't listed in either the Concordance or the Table of Contents. <laughs> you might not be reading your Bible enough if you're caught, you catch your kids reading the Song of Solomon and you demand, who gave you this stuff? All right, you'll, it'll, it'll come, it'll come. You might not be reading your Bible enough if you keep falling for it every time when pastor tells you to first turn to first condominiums. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right, one more, I'll be done. And everybody says, Amen. All right, the, you might not be reading your Bible enough if the kids keep asking you too many questions about your usual bedtime story, Jonah the shepherd boy and his ark of many colors. All right, Job had the privilege uh, just recently to be able to teach in the upstairs legacy class and taught it this series on the uh, book of Job. So I thought I'd just uh, share a little bit of that with you this morning. Um, God's, uh, God's good and teaches us out of um, and gives us just what we need at the right time. Uh, Job is a book that I needed at the time and still do. And I pray that today's uh, lesson could be uh, something beneficial for you as well. Some people might think Job is pretty boring because really When you look at chapters, you could go to chapters 1 and 2 and kind of skip to the end and you get the idea that something bad happened and then somebody uh, came to their senses, so to speak, and then something good happens at the end. And if that's the way you look at Job, the the middle chapters are key in this book. And you might, as you're looking through those middle chapters, you might feel like you're about as bored as reading the genealogies at times but there's just gold uh, in those chapters. Literary scholars claim Job to be one of the the oldest books in history, let alone it's the oldest book in the Bible. It's written in a poetic form like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Um, And uh, it's kind of an epic drama, kind of like the Iliad and the Odyssey. And and that doesn't suggest Job is a fictional character at all. He was a real person who lived, and these events that we'll read about today actually really happened. And even outside of biblical significance, um, it's one of the most profound pieces of literature in all of history. As a matter of fact, the French writer Victor Hugo said, if all the world's literary efforts were to be destroyed and I could save but a solitary example, it would be Job. So most people are interested in Job because you can relate to the theme, suffering. Anybody in here ever go through times of suffering? Go through times that are just not pleasant. Go through times in your life that you would not have planned if you could write your own story. Job is a book about suffering. And, and, and 
the question that comes to mind in so many people's hearts and minds is this. Why do the righteous suffer? You, you might be going through something and you're thinking, God, I, I'm in your word. I go to church. I teach Sunday school. I work in Awana, uh, whatever it is. God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? What about the guy down the street that, that, that does this and that and the other thing? Why, why isn't he being zapped? Why am I the one being zapped? Well, let's begin just looking at the first 12 verses of Job, and we'll talk about this a little bit. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him, and also his possession were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In in order to appreciate Job and, and this section, you kind of need a little bit of synopsis of the book. So if you just kind of think of Job as a, as a play with several scenes, the first scene is just what we've just read. The family gathered together. Everything's wonderful. They've got each other. They've got good health. They've got a, an abundance of wealth. And everything seems to be great. The second scene is now in heaven. Around the God is the what it says here is the sons of God, the, the angelic realm. We know that there's both good and evil angels. This actually says that Satan was among them at the time. And there's this conversation going on that the devil is out, Satan is out to prove that the only reason that Job blesses God and serves God is because what God has done for him. The next scene, which uh, we won't be able to get to Uh, in in this lesson. Um, But the next scene, Satan is striking Job's children with a catastrophic storm in which they all perish. And not only did he lose all of his children, he lost everything. His wealth, 
his cattle, anything that he had is now gone in that third scene. In the fourth scene, God now allows Satan to attack Job's health. He's afflicting him with painful skin sores. All of that occurs just in the first two chapters of Job. And then in the, in the next scene, which takes a great big portion of the book, Job's wife and three friends, and I, I could put that word friends in quotation marks, Job's wife and three friends are, friends are seen pointing their finger at Job and saying, what did you do? What did you do? The only reason God now is cursing you is because you did something wrong and we've got to figure out what it is that you did wrong so that everything can be set right again. And then in the next scene, the climax of the story, God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. And to summarize, God asks Job, (coughs) what makes you think you're smart enough to figure out why I do anything? What makes you think you're smart enough? And in the final scene, Job finally prays for his friends and God restores to him more than he ever had before. And in this amazing book, there are things you can learn. I would encourage you, if you're at a point where you're thinking, you know, I I need to to do something different in devotions, I need to have a, a reading plan, I would encourage you to read through the book of Job. Especially if you're going through something and see the things that Job did. You know, we, again, we don't have time to... I always have a problem screwing these things back. Okay, there we go. Anyway, um, you know, you might be thinking, I'm going through this right now. I don't know why. But you feel guilty for even asking God why things are happening. You know, you feel like maybe you're questioning God. Throughout this book, you see Job ask God a lot of questions. And God never says, Job, you're wrong for asking these questions. Now, God does say, Job, your attitude might be a little bit wrong here, and we need to correct that, and, and, and that happens towards the end. If you read the Psalms, many times we see David in almost a state of depression. He's hiding in a cave. Saul's out to kill him. David cries out to the Lord, why? It's okay to ask why. But throughout this whole thing, Job, it says, never sinned. He never cursed God, never blamed God. But it's okay to ask the question, why? So, just out of this chapter, just this first bit, I just want to share with you four insights that can be gained by studying Job. All right? So, the first one that I give you is this. There's more going on around you than you can see. There's more going on around you than you can see. Job could see his happy family. He could hear his livestock. <clears throat> he could see the, the food of feast. He enjoyed the fellowship of his family and friends. He could see all that. But he couldn't see the meeting that was taking place in heaven. He couldn't see what was going on in that conversation between God and Satan. Now, as readers of the book, we're allowed to see what's happening. We're allowed to see what's going on. But Job was not able to see that. Now, in verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also among them. Who are the sons of God? 
Well, I'm thankful that Pastor Chris is preaching on Genesis 6 today and is going to figure all that out for us out of Genesis 6. Is that right? Still working on that part? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, But that same phrase is used in Genesis 6 as well. The sons of God. Uh, I believe it's a reference to, again, as I said earlier, the angelic realm. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, there are are references uh, to the angelic realm. We know that there's evil and and good and all of that. Um, Satan is among them. It would be a pinnacle of presumption for us to think we're the only beings in God's creation that can that uh, we, we know that God created the angels. We're human beings, but the Bible teaches there are innumerable host of heavenly beings <clears throat> that God's created. Uh, last week, our missionary speaker referred uh, in Isaiah 6 to the seraphim um, that, that worship God. There's different classes of angels, all different kinds. Revelation 4 talks about uh, there are four creatures that worship God continually. Seraphim, cherubim, the archangels. We could go on and on, but this isn't a lesson about angels. And maybe that's going to be Chris's thought today too. This is not a sermon (laughs) about angels. But this is kind of like this scene is kind of like a director in a movie looking for the right location for the film. You've seen it in the older movies especially. You know, somebody will go around like this and just seeing if that, what's that going to look like with all of this gone? You know, that type of a thing. We're able to catch just a glimpse of what's going on right there because God's in this section has set aside what's going on on the earthly for a moment so we can see what's happening in the heavenlies. Now, several years ago, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Cambodia. And in Cam- while I was in Cambodia, some movies were uh, popular here in the States that were still in the theater. But over there, I found these movies on DVD in the marketplace. And I thought, you know, maybe since I don't have so many theaters over here, the DVDs release early. I went ahead and bought some of them. And when I got home, I watched the movie that I bought in Cambodia, The Minority Report. Anybody seen The Minority Report? It's a good little science fiction movie. But what I discovered is that it was a pirated deal. Somebody had been sitting in the back of a theater with their own camcorder recording the screen. Literally, in the movie, you could see people standing up and walked their shadows walking across the screen as they were kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 or something. And so, take, I thought I was going to see this, but in actuality, there was a lot going on around that unless you watched that pirated copy, you wouldn't realize what was going on. Well, sometimes you're wanting, uh, you, you watch some of the older movies, the older TV shows, especially the, the B ones, and sometimes you catch in a Western, a, a, you know, a glimpse of telephone poles as they're out there and that type of thing that shouldn't be there. Well, this is what's happening here. God's saying, I'm going to let you ha- get a little insight and to watch taking place in the heavenly that Job can't see. You know, the Bible says, well, we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 We can only see a sliver of the reality going on around us. There's a huge amount of spiritual warfare and spiritual activity going on that we can't see. Occasionally God allows, like here in Job, that spiritual microphone or power line to slip into the screen to remind us that we're not alone in this world or the next. So, you know, when you want to pull your hair out and ask the question, what in the world is going on? Maybe it's what in, not what's in this world that's going on, but what is it that's going on that we can't see? What's going on around us? So there's a lot more going on around you than you can see. The second thing that you can gain an insight from studying Job is that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Now, we all know that a hot scientific debate is between theories of evolution versus creation, intelligent design, and all of that. And uh, Job does a great job of addressing those things as you go through the book. But for now, let me just say that simply believing that there's a higher intelligence out there only is not a biblical teaching. That belief is called deism. And while it may be a good starting point, it has a faulty conclusion. If there is a God, we need to know what kind of God He is. And that's where the Bible comes in. The Bible teaches us that the mighty Creator of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with those He's created. To put it another way, the message of the Bible is not so much about how God created the heavens and the earth, It's about why God created the heavens and the earth. He created us. He created you and me to love Him and to enjoy Him forever. Our text says, and I love this about this. Did you notice Satan's not the one that brought up Job? God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Isn't that interesting? God places the spotlight on Job. Satan didn't go there to talk about Job. I think God's looking at Job, and this this sounds so cliche, so please forgive me, but you've probably heard this said before, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. I I, I think that uh, as I look at this, God's looking at Job. He's not saying Job's perfect. He's not saying Job is sinless. But he's saying, have you considered my servant, Job? God knows Job. He knows Job by name. He knows Job has a servant's heart. Why? Because he has a personal relationship. He wants a personal relationship with Job. And he wants one with you as well. God knows about you. God knows your name. He knows your heart. Everything about you, He knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. God knows everything about you. He knew everything about Job. He knew that Job had a servant's heart, that he had a good reputation, that he fears God, that he shuns evil. God knew all about Job, and God knows all about you. The third thing we note 
in this passage is this, that Satan actively assaults God's servants. Satan actively assaults God's servants. Of course, the name Satan literally means adversary. He opposes God. He opposes the potential servant of God. He's the adversary. He wants to make our lives miserable. And let me stop and say this. Satan is not omnipresent. In other words, Satan is not everywhere. Everything that goes on in your life that you don't like, you can't necessarily say it's because of Satan. He's not everywhere. And it might, again, be the height of presumption to think that we are uh, so important in the grand scheme of things that, that we have Satan's eye on us, on me. However, he's got all kinds of minions, and I'm not talking about the little yellow things that bounce around. He's got all kinds of helpers, so to speak, the demons, and um, I believe they have quite a network. But Satan is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not uh, some character dressed in red flannel underwear, okay, throwing and shoveling coal in hell. That is not Satan. As a matter of fact, this says, God says, where have you been? And he goes, I've been going to and fro on the earth. That reminds me of 1 Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is active. He's wandering around. Um, he may or may not have you on his radar, but some of his uh, helpers, his minions, so to speak, do. Satan is actively, aggressively, continually trying to make God's people curse God to his face. And all you have to do is turn your TVs or radios on and find that he's having great success in a lot of places. And I would just ask you to think about your own life. Um, I think, think it's interesting here the way that God said, Job is my servant. If you are actively serving God, if you're in His Word, if you're serving Him, you're sold out to Him, I'm just telling you, you can expect, you can expect the adversary to not like that. You can just expect it. I'm not saying I know how he's going to attack or what he's going to do or what, how he's going to try to influence you, but if you are actively serving the Lord, you are on the radar of those that oppose God. And then the fourth thing that the book of Job does for us is genuine faith will sustain you through trouble. And I want to kind of concentrate on this one for a little bit. Genuine faith will sustain you through trouble. We didn't read on, but in Job one twenty one. Job says, Naked I came from my father's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 22, In all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. When you go through trials and tribulations, 
We sometimes the Bible refers to this that is a testing of your faith. First Peter talks about a testing of your faith. You may think God is testing your faith, but that that phrase that that phrase implies that God is doing that because he wants to figure out what kind of faith you have. Well, God knows everything. God knows your faith. That testing of your faith is really for you and I to get an understanding of where we're at in our faith walk. God knows all things. He already knows the quality of faith you have. And only real, genuine faith will help you through suffering. So this next section, I'm going to talk about three different kinds of faith. Um, And just as we're going through this, just evaluate your own life. We're all going through something, and if you're not going through it now, something's around the corner. I mean, that's just the way life goes. And so as you're going through times of suffering, as you're going through those periods of your life where you would not have written it into your story if you had the opportunity, what kind of faith do you have to see you through? So three kinds of faith. The first one is this, fair-weather faith. Fair-weather faith. This is the kind of faith that operates when the sun's shining. Sorry, there's no sun today if you're a fair-weather faith person. But the fair, profession of fair-weather fair faith says, as long as things are going well, I will praise the Lord. Now, you may not actually say that. You may not actually even think that. But that's what your life shows. As long as things are going well, I will praise the Lord. And this is what Satan accused Job of having. God, the only reason Job serves you and and blesses you and makes the offerings is because of all that you've done for him. He's the richest man in the known world. He's got it all. And just take that away and he's going to curse you. And so Satan's accusation was that Job was a fair-weather faith guy. And some people approach religion and some Christians even approach Christianity like it's a business deal. You enter into a contract with God. And your idea is, the idea of this is, as long as God keeps up His end of the bargain, blessing, peace, joy, all of that, then I'll keep up my end of the bargain. Worship, service, tithes and offerings, all of that. They never, you never say it. You, you never made, again, never think it. But it's the attitude of, God, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And the problem is, God doesn't have a back like we think of a back, and nor does it itch. Okay? Through the years, I've known people, uh, the years of ministry before and since, that people had that outward faith to God. They attend church. They serve in the church. But the moment something comes up that they didn't plan for, the moment something comes along, maybe it's a family issue or, or a health issue, loss of a job, whatever it might be, the moment something comes up, you just don't see them again. Where are they? You could probably right now think of those of you that have been part of LifeBridge for, for a long time might think right now of people who used to be here and now aren't, and it's like, where are they? What happened? They meet a crisis, 
And they're just gone. Why? Because God boycotted on the deal. He didn't live up to his end of the bargain, so I'm not going to live up to mine. That's fair weather faith. You might guess the next one. It's foul weather faith. And no, not chicken or poultry. F-O-U-L. Okay? Foul weather faith. This is the opposite of the fair weather faith. This, the profession of this person is, when my life is a mess, I'm going to cry out to the Lord. And that's a great thing to do. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 56.3, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. These people call on the Lord when they're afraid, when things aren't going well. When, uh, when, you know, once things settle down, though, they're going to forget about them. This is the person that makes these type of statements. God, if you just get me through this. God, if you just provide a job. God, if you just let me have a child. Whatever it is. God, if you do this, then man, I'm going to be so faithful. You'll never find a more faithful person than me if you do this. So the opposite of the Fairweather faith. Things are bad. Now I'm going to worship the Lord. The Fairweather faith person is when things are good, I worship. But when things are bad, I'm out. This person, when things are bad, they want in. They're kind of like, you know, that you've heard that phrase that comes from World War One. There's no atheist in a foxhole. You know, they're down in the foxhole and the bullets are whizzing overhead. And whether they would say they believed in God or not before they got there, now they're crying out to God, save me. And that's this person. They think the Lord is for emergency use only. And uh, this person has this kind of bargain with God. Like I said, if you only help me through the mess, I will serve you faithfully. And then they survive the crisis Things seem to get better and they forget their promise to God and they're still, quote unquote, nowhere to be found when it comes to worship and the service of the Lord. The last kind of faith is the all-weather faith. Okay, This is the kind of faith that I believe Job had. All-weather faith. This person possesses an all-weather faith. They say, whatever happens, I trust the Lord. Whatever comes my way, I will still trust in Him. All weather faith says, come rain or shine, pain or pleasure, good or bad, I'm going to praise the Lord. And as I said, I think that's the kind of faith that Job had. That's why in Job 121, he could say, the Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later on in the book, in Job 13 and verse 15 Job says, though he slay me, still I will follow. So even if he takes my life, though he slay me, I will still trust him no matter what it is. Kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul says, you know, I'm in a straight between two, you know. Um, If I stay here on earth, I'm going to serve the Lord. But if I die... It's going to be so much better because I'll be in His presence. That's, that's all-weather faith. And that's where Job was at. Satan's accusation was that uh, if he was subjected to enough pain, he would curse God to his face. 
I'm sure there were times, and if you were to read through the rest of the book of Job, there were times where it certainly sounds like Job was on the edge of being tempted to do just that. Satan was constantly whispering in his ear through his three friends throughout this book, even from his wife, curse God. Surely he doesn't love you if he's letting all of this happen to you. Go ahead, curse him. Just get it over with. Like I said, even Mrs. Job counseled him to curse God and die. And uh, later in the book, Job asked some very blunt questions. I find it interesting that, again, uh, a, stu- a great study of this book, Job asked God question after question after question. God never responds and says, you don't, don't ask these questions, Job. But yet Job never responded. And, you know, or God never responded. Uh, until a little bit later, and then God never answers any of his questions. As a matter of fact, God, between chapters uh, 38 and 41, God actually asked Job 183 questions. That Job is silent because he can't answer any one of them. And basically what what I'm saying is this. You might be going through a tough time right now. You might be in the midst of suffering Or maybe you're coming out of it. Maybe something's around the corner that you don't know about. But you know what? We may never know the answer to the why question in this life. Job finishes the book. He gets twice everything he had before. He has ten children again. And I say twice because ten are in heaven now. Tenor in heaven, tenor on earth, twice the livestock, twice everything. But never did he get the answer from God, why did this happen? Why? He just trusted. He just had faith. At the towards the end of the book, well, it's not towards the end, it's more in the middle, but Job chapter 19. Verse 25, Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand at last on the earth. And so if you're going through it, just remember, you have a Redeemer that lives. He knows why. Sometimes, you know, I've been in my, in my life so many times, I'm like, God, just drop a blueprint out of the sky here. What's the next steps? Where should I go? What's going on? What decisions should I make here? How's this going to turn out? Why is this happening? Give me a hint. But we have to rest and trust in the fact, and all weather faith will say this, that even though I don't know, God knows, and that's good enough. That's good enough. And so I just encourage you this morning, just as we've just got this little snippet of Job, Just ask yourself that question. What kind of faith do you have? Is it a fair weather faith? As long as things are good, you're okay with God. Is it a foul weather faith that you only go to him when the crisis comes? Or is it an all weather faith that says, God, you are in charge. I am not. I don't understand, but I'm thankful that you do. Help me through this time. Whether I get it or not, I get the fact that you are worthy of my praise and my worship no matter what goes on 
yet he slay me, still I will trust in him. Amen? Amen. Father, thanks for the morning. Thank you for allowing us this, this brief glimpse into the book of Job. Help us all to just evaluate where we're at. I pray that everyone in this room knows Christ as Savior. If they do not, I pray that they one day might be able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives because of what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. For those that know Christ, I pray that we would, if we're not there already, that we would become, that we would uh, mold our, seek to mold ourselves and shape us into the image of Christ to have that all-weather faith Help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to worship you, to serve you, to praise you no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.